Well, hello and welcome back to the NUFC Opinion Blog. Today I am joined by a very special guest in Keith Downey of Sky Sports News. Keith, how are you doing? Hi Daniel, not bad, thank you. Um, it's calmed down a little bit after the carnage of the uh, first sort of few weeks of the takeover. So it's calmed down a little bit, but I'm aware just a few weeks around the corner we've now got the transfer window. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I'm just, um, I'm just preparing for um, probably a busy January. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on and joining me as well. I really appreciate it. What we'll do first, we'll have a little chat about your sort of your career so far. Now, um, back in your younger days, was journalism and in particular broadcast being on TV or radio, for example, was that sort of the obvious career path for you? Was something you want to do for a while when you were growing up? I mean, when I was growing up, I wanted to, I was very interested in um, print journalism. I used to read all the newspapers and all the sports pages from front to back um, every day, really. You've got to remember back in those days, I'm showing my age now, but back in those days, um, there was no internet. It was way before in internet podcasts, all these sort of things. You couldn't do things like this, you know? So I had a real obsession with um, print journalism and I wanted to be a sports writer as a result. And I used to sort of read all the sports writers every week and I knew who they all were and whatnot. And my first ever job after uni was actually for a newspaper. Um, I didn't really... I didn't really think I would be able to get into broadcasting TV. I remember a, a couple of my friends' parents always saying to me, you're going to end up working on TV, doing, doing the football. I remember they said that to me a couple of times. Um, but I never actually really kind of believed it. And it wasn't until I graduated and we did a little bit of TV broadcasting towards the end of uni. And I thought, you know what, I really enjoy this. And although my first job was in, in print journalism, I, I kind of had one eye on potentially getting into the, the broadcast side of things. Um, so I worked, I worked in print journalism for four years after uni and then got my first break in, in broadcast. And then I've been doing that ever since. Mm. And so we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at the, the, the print side of things. What was it like working for that local paper? Uh, it was an eye opener. It really was an eye opener. Um, I mean, it was for a local newspaper in an area just outside Glasgow. The newspaper is called the Wishaw Press. The money was horrendous. Um, you got paid peanuts to work for them. But do you know what? It was such a good grounding in terms of being a journalist and just sort of learning the trade and what, what to do and what not to do and how you sniff out a story and how you cultivate a contact. Um, I mean, you were doing all sorts of things like it, it was a weekly newspaper. So, you know, a lot would happen in the area in that week and you could be writing on like an attempted murder one day and then like a church fete the next day. It was just it was so random, but it actually gave me a really good grounding um, to get into sport. And then I think also once I've got into sport now, I appreciate it even more because it's I know that's what I want to do. And I realized that, you know, as much as that was it was good at the time. I do prefer the sport and the football side of things. And, you know, I don't know if I'd want to go back to that. So, um, so yeah, I did. I learned a lot. I was very young at the time. I probably learned more in my first six weeks. Terrible saying this. I probably learned more in my first six weeks in that job than I did in my three, four years at university, just purely for the fact that you were just thrust into the, you know, the firing line and told to get on with it. So it was a very good grounding um, afforded me to cut my teeth there without many people reading your, your stuff. Um, but it did make me realise that it was, it was sport that I wanted to do. Yeah, well, has football and sport always been a passion of yours sort of outside of your job and your career aspirations? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I'm probably going to be very similar to you um, and probably a lot of the, the people on your course as well. Um, I was obsessed with 
sport growing up and that's kind of the love of it that, that got me into this. Um, I would write stories about make-believe football teams and my dad made a little um, sort of putting green in the back garden for me and I used to like sort of play open championships myself in the summer when I was a young kid and I'd play every shot for every single player and like it would take up the whole summer. I think my mom and dad were a bit worried about me for a while. They're like, this, that our son's got no friends here. He just spends his entire summer playing in the garden, doing, doing playing these games. And then I would write up reports and stories on it afterwards. And I used to play play-by-mail football, which is obviously now like a bit like fantasy Premier League, but it was a, a different way of playing it back then because obviously we didn't have the internet. And I had all these different little things that I used to do and make up. And, you know, I used to get my dad to turn down the the commentary on the, if it was a live match on the TV and I would, I would commentate, do the commentary and I was about like 10, 12 years old. So yeah, I've always had that love and passion for it, which is probably similar to what you're like, but you probably just do it in different ways because you've, you've got more um, ways of doing things now than, than, than I did when I was growing up in the sort of 1990s. Yeah. And so obviously having been at a local paper and then how did you get your first chance on television and how did that come about? So my first job was um, first job in broadcast was for Satanta Sports, who are now defunct. Oh, nice. um, I, was, I was I was a reporter for Rangers TV, so they had two channels. One was Rangers TV and one was Celtic TV, two club channels, and. Um, I was made aware of the vacancy and I went for the job. I'd done a little bit of radio commentary um, at the weekend. Um, I wouldn't even say commentary. I would say going updates, going to like football matches in Scotland. A bit like, you know, how Five Live have their stuff now, a bit like that, but to a much lesser extent for like a local radio station. And I would do like the Dunfermline and Livingston games. They were both then in the Scottish Premier League. In the Scottish, Scottish Premier, uh, Premiership, as it maybe was back then, I can't even remember. Um... And I'd had a little bit, I'd done maybe a handful of games, I'd maybe done 10, 12 games. And um, I'd had a little bit of, of experience working for Real Radio on the football phone-in show. I used to take the calls for the phone-in show and used to like hand through to the to the presenter and we used to decide what we'd have on. And, but as time went on, although I was still at uni, they gave me more of a hands-on role and I almost helped kind of produce the show at times as well. Um, so I had a bit of experience of broadcasting and then this job came up at Satanta Sports to be the reporter for Rangers TV and I went for it. Um, and, you know, I, I was just lucky enough. I mean, I think a lot of people applied for it, but I don't know if I was just maybe what they were looking for at the time. I don't know if maybe, I've no idea, but I managed to get the job um, having had the interview and I was obviously really, really pleased because I got to give up the... So I basically went from being a local reporter in the weekly Perthshire advertiser Traveling from Edinburgh, where I lived, up to Perth every day, which is about a fifty-minute journey, um, to suddenly get this job at Rangers TV. And you know, one of my first assignments was to go away and do a European trip with Rangers, um, the first of the season under the new manager Paul Le Guin at the time. And it was just like, wow! I was suddenly doing football, and I was in and about all these like highly paid, big name players within within the club. But again, it was just. It was, I had no experience, but I just learned on the job as I went along. Um, so that, that was a first break and I was lucky I did that for three years. And in my three years there, Rangers got to the UEFA Cup final. So, you know, I was there for that whole run. <laughs> in Manchester and they played, I mean, on that run to the final, they, they, they played Barca in the Champions League. They played Stuttgart in the Champions League. Leon, I think as well. They then... They then in the in the in the UEFA Cup the run they play I mean they beat a load of teams to get to the final they beat <laughs> they were like 
trying to think who else, Fiorentina in the semi-final. Like, there were some massive teams then to get there. And it was just a really good experience. And I got to meet lots of people along the way, which then allowed me to move on to, to other jobs after that. And, and, and so how did Sky come about and how did you end up in the current role that you're in now, sort of Northeast Football Reporter covering the major clubs in the Northeast? So ST, so um, Rangers TV, um, I did that for three years and then Satanta went bust essentially and was made redundant and didn't have a job and I was like, right, I need to try and do something. So I started picking up some freelance stuff, went back to doing like reading out the... Um, reading out the traffic reports on the radio at local radio station in Glasgow in the morning. That was like six till nine, but the good thing was you were up and you were about and you would, and then I'd have the rest of the day. So I would search for stories and I would use my contacts that I'd had from Rangers to like write little stories for some of the, the national papers in Scotland. And I'd pick up little bits and pieces. Um, and I had a friend, um, colleague, became a colleague who worked for Scottish television, STV, which is essentially... ITV, but for Scotland. So you know, you know, you know, when you watch um, uh, the news at six here on on uh, on, on ITV. Um, Time Tees. Yes. It's a it's a bit like Time Tees, but for Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got a job. I I knew I knew the, the the kind of main presenter there, Raman, and he kind of made me aware that a job might be coming up to help him on the sports desk. And I went for it, and I was lucky enough to get it. So I was kind of his number two for three years. And then when I got that job, I was able to give up the freelance. I'd done the freelance thing maybe for about six, nine months. So I got this job at STV. And luckily when I was there, we had some huge stories. Um, I say luckily, it wasn't wasn't probably the time for Rangers because I knew a lot of people who worked there. But Rangers went into administration and in liquidation. And I I think I played quite a big part in in that story. Um, And I think I kind of, I hope I maybe made people aware of me by sort of getting bits and pieces of that story and being heavily involved in it. And STV were very across that story at the time and we led the way with it. Um, and then I got um, I got approached by by Sky, um, by someone at Sky to say, look, this position's coming up. Would you be interested in, in applying for it? My predecessor was David Craig. He'd been doing it for like maybe 12, 13 years. So he was moving on to become a pitch side reporter for Sky. And it's very rare that they would actually ever, I was told it was very rare that they would ever sort of put it out as a vacancy. They would normally just apply and bring someone through from within. But I went for the job. There was a lot of people went for it, um, had a couple of interviews. And um, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to get the job again. So um, that was my real... Although obviously I had that time at STV and it was great and Rangers, but I must admit when I got that job at Sky, that was and obviously I had to make the move down down here to the northeast. That was when I actually thought, right, this is this is kind of getting real now, and this is a this is a this is a big step for me. Um, it just felt like it just felt like a lot bigger task to what I had, and obviously I had the responsibility of being the only person on the patch for Sky, so I was essentially essentially going to be my own boss to an extent. Whereas before then, I'd always been working for people. So I moved down here in September 2013 to take over from David Craig. Having I didn't know anyone down here, didn't have a contact, didn't know, I had to start from scratch. And then I've just kind of worked, ploughed away until we get to where we are now. Yeah, and, and, and so given that, and given sort of you've had to build up these contacts and all, all of the things in the Northeast and sort of starting afresh, and the rest of your career combined as well, what sort of advice would you give to to young journalists like myself, for example, or, or anyone else. Well, I think you and I met, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago at the um, Newcastle United Supporters Trust. Yeah, yeah the true faith thing. And um, 
And I think I know Saturn James's Park as well on the Unai Emery day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think you asked me the question then. And and I think you actually asked one of my colleagues as well, um, one of the newspaper reporters. And we actually, I think, uh, in, independently both said the exact same thing to you. And it were just make sure wherever you go, always ask, always ask for phone numbers, always try and get contacts, always speak to people, make people know, know who you are. But also, I think it's also important to be patient as well. I just see a lot of um young reporters coming through a lot of sort of youngsters at uni and i think they, they maybe see a job like what i'm doing or maybe a job that what luke edwards or craig hope or whoever are doing or maybe the presenting jobs on tv and they just want to do that straight away and of course i wanted to do that then as well and i can remember for years thinking how am i not how why am i still writing for a local newspaper or news when i want to be doing sport and i want to be writing for the daily record in scotland or i want to be writing for the sun or i want to be working for stv sport but you need to kind of get that experience first. So I would say take any opportunity that comes along. Don't just, don't sort of cherry pick the jobs. I think if a job came along and it was, and you were able to make it work and it was voluntary or a job came along, the pay wasn't great and you were able to make it work, then do it great. I mean, you've told me about a lot of the stuff you're doing. I think you're doing all the right things. Um, you've probably got more experience at your age at the moment than I had at, at, at a similar age to you. And I think if you do that, and I think if you show application and you show willing and you you work really hard, and it's an obvious thing to say, but I mean, until I got this job at Sky, I probably worked seven days a week for about five or six years. Like I was just working nonstop. You know, I'd come home from STV, then go and do a game for the sun in the evening. And I was really tired all the time, but it was what I wanted to do. And there was an end goal. I've got this job at Sky now, and obviously I'm only allowed to work for Sky, so I can't do like a lot of things on the side like that. But it means I can kind of put my all into the into this job. So um, it's a simple thing to say, but keep working hard, keep knocking on doors, keep asking questions, keep asking for phone numbers, and just and and don't don't feel like you need to go. I mean, I've the, I mean, this is the job I'm doing now is probably my dream. It probably became my my dream job, but I didn't. I kind of got it through, it wasn't really through design, it just kind of happened because I was willing to work hard and, and, and do the right thing. So everyone's journey is going to be different. You might end up doing news, you might end up writing for a website, you might end up presenting on BT Sport, you might end up doing something amazing. Like you don't know what you're going to be doing, but I just think as long as you, as long as you sort of work work hard and are willing to, to do anything and not not cherry pick the jobs that you want to do. I think people look at you and say, right, we've got a hard worker here. I mean you look most of the, look at most of the people who are like main presenters on TV. They've been they've done random things before. They've they've not just walked straight in and got a job as a presenter on Sky Sports News or a presenter on BT Sport. They've done other things to get to there. Yeah, very good, very good points. Now moving sort of to Newcastle United in in, in its current form, unfortunately, as as bad as it is on the pitch at the minute. At times, um, I want to just sort of ask you a question that you asked. At, sorry, about answering at that event, sort of about the takeover. What was it like to cover that, uh, sort of from an inside perspective? Firstly, when it first sort of came about and then collapsed, which of course was, you know, everyone was very upset by. It. But then yeah. on the day it actually happened on the seventh of October this year, what was that like being sort of at Jesmond Dean House as well and, and, and getting to to speak to Amanda Stavely? When yeah, I mean. Through? I mean, it, it was weird because the thing at Jesmond Dean, um, it felt like you were detached from the story. Although everything was going on there and you were at the centre and Jesmond Dean House is a place that I would walk the dog and whatever. Like I'd walk past it all the time and suddenly the, the eyes of the world were on there, but nobody really knew it. 
it still felt to me like the story was at, was at St James's Park because that's where the fans all began to turn up in the afternoon. I must say it was a surreal day. I knew it was going to be big. I knew it was about to go through the night before. Couldn't really say too much. Um, and I knew it was. I didn't sleep much the night before because I knew I was going to be doing loads and loads of lives. I knew I was going to have to be across the story. I knew that I was probably potentially going to be breaking the story, which is like the biggest story in the Northeast in, I don't know, 25 years? I don't know. I have no idea. But... And I knew it was probably those words were going to come from my mouth first. And I, I just knew it was a big day and an, an important day. But you kind of get by an adrenaline in days like that. I mean, I didn't sleep much the night before. I probably didn't sleep much the, on the seventh either once I got home. But those few days, you just get by it. You just get by an adrenaline. And I think that was probably why, and a lot of people talk about when I got a little bit sort of emotional on TV. And I think I did get a bit emotional because it was a release of adrenaline. When, when I finally delivered the news that that was it done, you know, sort of, two years of sort of reporting on it, four years of thinking it might happen, 14 years of Newcastle fans not wanting Mike Ashley in charge. And, you know, we'd taken quite a lot of stick along that time. And I think it, I think it was just the adrenaline just coming out of me. And I think, I think that's why, why that happened. It was a very, very surreal day, um, culminating in the wild scenes that we saw, the, the, you know, the celebrations we saw at St. James's Park. Where, I was in amongst them. I was in them. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was and it, it was amazing to see because I mean I've covered this club for eight years now, and it's all been negativity. It's never been anything positive. So to suddenly see people with smiles on their faces and happy, and it felt like it felt like Newcastle won a trophy. That was kind of how I would imagine it to be if they won they won a trophy. So it was it was a bit strange, but we didn't really have too much time to prepare for it. You just have to kind of probably a bit like you guys as fans you just have to kind of ride the wave and and, and just deal with it but um yeah although I was based at Jesmond Dean House for most of the day because I was I was told I was going to get the first interview with Amanda Stavely and I was waiting for it and it just got to about three in the afternoon and I thought you know what if I don't get the first interview who cares I need I need to be there I need to I want to be remembered as breaking the news stood at St James's Park when their fans there. I don't want to be standing in, in a basically a secret garden in a hotel that no one knows where it is and it, it essentially looked like my back garden when we were standing in so so I made the decision at three to to can't over to the, the stadium and I think it was the right decision because obviously just two hours later it broke so um so yeah it was it was it was a very emotional day um I'm not going to make any apologies for getting a bit emotional. I think I was like that because of everything that's gone on. And I, and I knew that I, knew, I was well aware that what I was saying was would have huge ramifications and a huge impact on so many other people's lives. And that was probably why I, why I got like that. So um, it was, it was, a, it was just a natural reaction. And I have to say, you know, I think had it been something amazing happening for Sunderland, I probably, I probably would have felt the same. I remember being down there at Trafalgar Square when they got to the cup final a couple of years ago and seeing all the fans. And I felt a little bit like caught, caught up in it and emotional that night as well. So um, it, it's a huge thing for the area um, and also from a personal point of view I've covered it for a long time and you know you speak to any northeast journalist they want they want to report on good times and we've not had any of those at all for a long time so to actually have something there that was tangible just just kind of felt quite good and it was just it really was a privilege to to be the the, the person who essentially announced the takeover so to speak yeah now you mentioned of course that you did you did interview Amanda Stavely and having you'd obviously countless other people to do with Newcastle, some and et cetera, et cetera. So are, are most people within football sort of like people like that or, or players or managers, are they, are they all good to deal with the majority of them and, and willing to do interviews? 
Who do you mean the, the new owners? Well, yeah, just or just in general, players, for example, managers, people within football. Um, everyone's different, Daniel. I mean, I, certain people are better than others. Some people um, can't be bothered talking to you and you, they make that fairly clear and you're just kind of ticking a box. Um, I'm not going to say names because that would be unfair. Um, others are more than happy to give up your time and you feel like they're really engaged with what you've got to say. I, I have felt the older I've got as well, the more experienced I've got, the more people do want to speak to you. I think when you're younger, like they maybe, you know, there's maybe slightly less respect there. I think you gain respect by by being involved in stories and 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 talking to people off camera and things like that as well. Maybe meeting them out on a night out or in a restaurant or wherever and having a chat with them. Or maybe if something bad happens and you you don't you don't stick the knife in. So everyone's different. It's a really difficult question to answer that. And with regards to the, the new owners at Newcastle, um, certainly the ones on the ground who we're dealing with here, by that I mean Amanda Stavely and her husband and the people who work for them, they've certainly been the certainly been very friendly in the club and I think what they want to do is they want to do it openly and transparently and that's obviously something that you've not had for for, for 14 years yeah yeah indeed so it's nice to see other people who cover the club to deal to, to get used to that because we've not had that for so long yeah very good big question now in your opinion will Newcastle stay up or go down um a lot of people have asked me this recently. I think it'll be difficult to stay up. I really do. Um, if you want my honest answer, um, I think that I think a lot depends in January. But I worry about the matches that are upcoming. Obviously, I don't know when this is going to go out. But you've got Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Everton before the turn of the year. Thumped four 0 by Leicester at the weekend. Um, I just think that run of fixtures, if you don't get anything from them, I just feel a few heads could potentially drop in January. Now, listen, Eddie Howe will be ensuring or doing his best to ensure that that doesn't happen. But it just feels to me that that's a really, really tough run. And and, and if you get nothing from them and you're a little bit detached towards the bottom end of the table, it's going to be harder to bring players in in January. And I don't think the club want to splash out huge amounts on players with the real threat that you're probably going to go down. So I think these next few games will tell a lot. I just think it's going to be hard for Newcastle to get points from them. And I think the biggest thing for me when you look at the foot of the table is all the other clubs down there at the bottom are picking up points, whether that be Leeds or Burnley or Watford or even Norwich, like they're all capable of picking up points. Now Newcastle are as well, but I think Newcastle have played like the more beatable teams at home already. You know, they've played Burnley at home, they've played Norwich at home, they've played Southampton at home. You can go through the, the list of the teams that they've there's more. I'm I'm not probably thinking off the top of my head at the moment, but teams that are sort of down there round about and they've played these games already. So they've got a lot of the big teams to play away from home. And I think I think that is what's going to make it difficult. Um it's so hard to predict because things can change. And we saw Newcastle have a great end to last season. And I don't think anyone could have seen that foreseen that happening. Um, but if you want an honest answer from me right now, I think it'd be I think it's gonna be very, very difficult to stay up. It, it, it's a fair answer. I mean, no club's ever done it in the position that we're currently in. So it's yeah. a fair answer. Final question then. Obviously, despite this sort of relegation fear and threat at the moment, in your opinion, where do you think the club can go under this new ownership? 
Mm. Um, well, again, it depends how much they want to invest. And I've been using the words um, a lot, saying they are now the richest club in the world if they want to be. Um, and that's and what I mean by that is if the owners invest however much they want to invest in it, we still don't know how much they're, they're, they're going to do. And we have to remember, Amanda Staveley has, from word go, said that they're going to do this gradually and they're going to do it slowly and they're not going to throw loads of money at it. They've said that. Whether they're just saying that to kind of dampen expectations down a little bit, we, we, must, we must wait and see. Um, I think time will tell. I mean, obviously, they want to win the Premier League. They want to win trophies. They've said that already. I think they probably could do that if they want to, you know, if they, if they manage to plough in the right money. But I think they need to have the right people at the club as well. I think it's imperative that they get in a sporting director as soon as possible. Um, to help if they don't, you know, to help with the January transfer window and then the summer. I think it would be amazing if they stayed in the Premier League this year. I think that, you know, I think that really helped because by going down to the championship, you're just setting everything back by a couple of years. And then, you know, you want to make sure that everyone's still involved, those at the top are still involved. And you know, I don't think I don't think the PIF uh, consortium came to the, the PIF part of the consortium came to the club to buy a club in the championship. So they will want to stay in the league, but they were also aware that they could go down. So it is a very, very delicate situation at the moment, Daniel. I, 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 only time will tell. It's the kind of thing where we will look back and we'll have this chat again in 10 years' time. We'll be like, oh, that happened. That happened. You, can, you, can, you can never tell. You can only go from what they're saying they want to do. They say they want to go to the very top, but they say they're going to do it slowly. So if they're going to do it slowly then that means they're not going to do it in two years, three years, five years. That means it's going to take 10 years. And listen, it might be, it might take a while for the fans to get there, but it's a time for them to enjoy the ride. It's a time for them to rejoice in the fact that they've, they've lost Mike Ashley and it's something they've wanted to do for a long time. And it feels like the club are on the right path. It feels like the, the club are being transparent now. You, you know, they've been very open with the supporters. That's what they've asked for for a long time. Yes, results aren't great right now, but I almost get the impression from seeing the supporters at a couple of the away games that they're almost just ex not accepting, but they're like, they're okay with it at the moment because they, they know and they hope that there's better times around the corner. Whereas I think with Mike Ashley, there wasn't that hope and they felt that they were just stuck in this cycle of, of nothingness really, of just trying to survive. So at least, at least if the new consortium fail, at least they'll have tried. They'll have tried in the field. Whereas I think with Mike Ashley, they felt that he wasn't even trying. So again, really difficult to answer that question. We all want to see the clubs in the Northeast challenging and winning trophies again. You know, I'd love to see Newcastle in Europe. I'd love to see them win a trophy. I'd love to see Sunderland win a trophy. I'd love to see them back up in the Premier League. Middlesbrough, I'd like to see that. I'd love to have all three clubs up there because it makes my job a lot more fulfilling as well. Sadly, it's not been the best place to work of late, but hopefully with this takeover, things can things can begin to change and hopefully it will allow more, you know, more money to come into the area and 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 just kind of kind of get the the region back again because it's it's been it's been really difficult to report on for for a long time now. So I'm looking forward to the January transfer window. I'm looking forward to the summer. I'm hoping Newcastle stay in the Premier League. If they don't, then okay, it sets it back for a year or two. But there's the one thing's for sure moving forward. There's going to be stories surrounding Newcastle moving forward and for someone like me that that's what what you're in the job for so that that's what I'm looking forward to more than anything that's a great way to wrap it up thank you very much for joining me Keith uh, we'll see you all next time so thank you all very much for watching and how are the lads <laughs>